Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you are in for a real treat because I have with me Peter Grossman. I had the chance to meet Peter last year, starting around some work he had done with ABM Bev, then got the chance to meet him in person in uh, New York in December. I can certainly convey he is one live-wired guy, and he has some great stories about Rolling Stones magazine. But as much as I would love to talk him for an hour about that, uh, we are going to talk today about some really innovative ideas, strategies, and techniques that Peter has helped bring to the compliance space around training and, more importantly, communication. So, Peter, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, Happy New Year, and thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me today. No, thank you so much for having me, Tom. A happy New Year to you. That was a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> so why don't you give the listeners a little bit of your professional background? Because coming from the creative space that you've been in for so long, I really think that you and your partner have added things to the compliance community that perhaps were not present before. Right. Thanks. No, thanks for saying that. So yeah, so my partner, Scott, and I come from a very different background from most people in the space. We're certainly not lawyers, first and foremost. We come from publishing and entertainment and storytelling really more than anything. And so when we first launched a production company, we thought we'd be working in that space primarily. Uh, we both worked for Rolling Stone for a time. I worked for Us Weekly, the tabloid for over a decade. Scott worked for a long time at HBO. And so those were the types of clients that we were working with. But we switched over to the space through the AB InBev job that you mentioned. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with Matt Galvin, who is the uh, global VP of ethics and compliance there. And Matt is a friend of mine. I coach his son in Little League. We coach Little League together. And he brought us over to say, hey, I need someone that can make a compliance training that my employees will actually pay attention to. And so our background consists almost entirely of getting people to pay attention to things. They haven't been big world important things in the past. It's usually a lot of sort of who won The Bachelor or what happened on Game of Thrones last night or who is Celebrity X now cheating on their wife with, that kind of stuff. But we were very good at getting people's attention. And so that was the premise with which we were brought into this space is, hey, this is a space where, generally speaking, compliance trainings have not been huge attention grabbers. And Matt specifically wanted to change that vibe overall. And we found that a lot of people sort of have similar thoughts. So. What is it that you see or saw about the current state of compliance training, at least when you guys started looking at it, that really missed the mark? I think the biggest thing was the lack of attention to engagement. Compliance training is like any other form of teaching, really. It's just getting people to learn something. And people love learning. But generally speaking, people don't have the best view of school, right? So learning good, school bad. And so generally speaking, compliance training has been produced by lawyers. And lawyers have a lot of things that are sort of unique to them. Well, I'm a psychology guy, so I could get into this long list of things that are unique to them. But professionally speaking, one thing that you can certainly say about anyone who's practicing law is that they passed the bar exam and they went to law school above and beyond college. And just that fact alone 
is enough to let you know that these are the last people that should be making compliance trainings. Yes, they need to be involved in it. Yes, they need to tell you what all the laws and rules are, of course. But in terms of building the product, most people don't learn that way. Most people can't pass the bar exam or didn't pass the bar exam or at the very least chose not to go down the path that led to extra years of school and more test taking. And so when you have compliance training that's built by test takers, by people that are incredibly adept at memorizing enormous amounts of information, that doesn't necessarily translate to the general population of who you're trying to train. And so the first thing I noticed was, wow, hey, no one seems to be paying attention to whether or not people are paying attention. Or it's sort of just a given that people aren't going to pay attention. And I don't think that that is remotely necessary if you just find ways to attach more interesting and innovative and sort of creative ideas to what it is you're trying to get across. Peter, as insightful as that is, you had an insight when we met for dinner with others in uh, December that I thought was very prescient. It was prescient in the month of December, but the more I thought about it, the more I think it's prescient year round. So this podcast is going to go up in January of 2020. And your observation was that compliance training in December, whatever it may be like in the first 11 months of the year, may well nigh run into a disaster in <laughs> December. And so I'll, actually, I wanted to ask you to, to expound upon that a little bit and why all of the things you saw as deficiencies in garnering people's attentions are really exponentially or more or more worse, worser in, or more bad in December and how a chief compliance officer might think through a remedy to that. Well, the reason that it's problematic is that it sort of seeks to solve the problem in a reverse way, right? So what happens is you get to December and you realize you've got this huge segment of your population that hasn't taken the training yet. And so people are getting tracked down on vacation. And, you know, I've heard stories, you know, in the hospital when they're about to deliver and all kinds of crazy stuff about, how, oh, we have to get this done by the end of the year. And I think generally speaking, that's just your starting point is wrong. If the idea is we have to get this done by this amount of time, I understand you would have to have some sort of parameters on it. But that starting point is a check the box starting point. It's a I'm just doing this to make sure it gets done, not an I'm doing this to actually affect change. And if you are just doing things just to say that you did it, you're going to find that it's not effective. And the, the actual lessons that you're trying to teach, there's real life circumstances that these situations live in and real life consequences when people do things wrong. And you have to make that attachment to those two things. And so if you don't have people engaged throughout the year around this, doing a cram session at the end when people are the least engaged. I mean, think about what we were all thinking about in December. You have a year where Christmas falls on a Wednesday like this and forget it. You've lost two and a half weeks of people that are just thinking about anything other than work. And that's good and healthy. And we want people to take that break at the end of the year. That's why we have it. But that is not the time for you to be trying to shove information down their throats that is actually really important for them to know, to internalize, and for them to sort of remember and carry forward as they go through their jobs for the rest of the year. So a training can't be looked at something that we just need to make sure it got done. It should be looked at as something that makes a difference, that affects behavior, that changes a culture. 
you have this amazing ability as a chief compliance officer to make the entire company do whatever you want, right? You have them in the palm of your hands. They have to watch whatever it is you put in front of them. It's part of working there. And so the idea is to take it from something that people have to do and switch it to something that they want to do. And that's not going to happen with slideshows or little pieces of paper lying around. That's not going to do it. It's about engaging people year round in a culture change. So drawing from your background at us and Rolling Stone, could a chief compliance officer sort of map out uh, not only trainings, but communications they would roll out throughout the year to build towards communicating and training folks at times when they were focused on that as opposed to maybe the last two or three weeks of the year? Well, the answer is, as always, is it depends. <laughs> I think that we've said that before together. It's the one thing that therapists and lawyers have in common. They answer every question with it depends. So yes, of course you can. And this isn't to say that there's no way for you to have effective compliance training in December. There are ways of doing it. Let's say you had a holiday party. Now, you can't just start with the office holiday party as you probably have it now. You have to reimagine the holiday party as something that everyone's going to want to go to. So now it's something that, first of all, happens during the day instead of work, not something that they have to do at night when they'd rather be hanging out with their family. So now you've got this engaging, fun, during the day holiday party. And in the middle of it, it's themed to whatever it is that's going on in your office. And now in the middle of it, a screen comes down and you've got this crazy video and everyone is like, what is going on in the middle of the party? And it's fun and engaging. And there's a lesson at the end of it. That's an example of how compliance training could work in December. Now, that's a long way to go just to get compliance training done in December. So what I would advocate is to do things like that, to create a vibe like that, a scenario like that in your office, where every time a training is rolled out, it feels that way. It feels like people are at a cool party that, oh, did you see that thing? And oh my goodness, and they're talking about it afterwards. And the way to do that is by attaching your policies to some kind of narrative, to some kind of storytelling. So there's something to talk about afterwards. So just the same way that we all go to see Star Wars and then sit around talking about, oh my goodness, can you believe that scene afterwards? It's the same idea. It's just with your policies attached. So if I could turn now to the compliance training you helped Matt at ABM Dev develop mm -hmm. and how that fits into what you've just described as not only a narrative that will engage people, but what I like to think of as the collateral marketing materials that were developed from T-shirts around that. And that's a level of engagement you typically do not see from corporate compliance communications or training. So I was wondering if you could walk us through that and maybe help a compliance officer explain that's a level of engagement you typically don't see, but you actually want to get to. Tom, this is your way of angling for a T-shirt, isn't it? <laughs> if you don't have a T-shirt, I know people. I can get you a T-shirt. So, okay. So I'm glad you bring that up. In our anti-corruption training, which we developed for ABI, which will soon actually be available to anyone who wants it, it takes you through a scene where you have to build a plant in a country that you don't normally do business in and all the pitfalls that you find along the way. And so there's a moment in the middle of the training where you have got your sort of plant up and running, but you're approached by the chief of a local tribe whose members are most of your workforce, et cetera, and you're presented with this dilemma. 
he's trying to get you to buy cows, sacred cows. And they're incredibly expensive, but he's going to get you a deal. Don't worry. And of course, everyone does this and it's part of our culture. And if you don't slaughter a sacred cow at the corners of a construction site, it's bad luck, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're presented with this dilemma of whether or not to buy the cows. Now, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it because it's fun to watch. But either way, the fate of the cows ends up in your hand, regardless of what you choose to do. So we made a real thing around the cows because we loved the cows. And when the cows appear on screen, there's a very long, overly long extended moo because we just thought it would be funny. All of the best jokes and moments happen around the cow. The chief is one of our favorite characters. And people just really lashed onto that moment, especially because they encountered the cows regardless which path they went down. And so at the resolution of that act, you find that you have done the right thing and eventually compliance has come in to help you save the cows. And so the phrase save the cows just caught on. And we were asked to design a t-shirt with the cow on it that said save the cows, which of course we were very happy to do. Not really understanding what was, I don't know if it was just for Matt or we didn't really know what they were planning on doing. So we sent them the t-shirt design and then we look up and they're giving them out. They're handing them out to employees. They're handing them out to people that come through for benchmarking. They're handing them out just at conferences. And all of a sudden now it's a thing. People are talking about saving the cows. Matt's birthday cake was a cow, (laughs) was a save the cows thing. Someone went to their Halloween party as the cows. And you just think, well, what do cows have to do with compliance training? And the answer is very little, but also kind of everything, right? It has everything to do with this compliance training because our idea of putting that in there wasn't, okay, we're not here to help you memorize the FCPA. Like that's not going to happen. What we are here to do is get you to remember what to do in certain moments. So you're not going to remember all the finer points of the FCPA, but you will remember the cows and the chief who offered them to you. And the idea is that when you create characters like that, that resonate with everybody, that's sort of what sparks the behavior change and gets people remembering it throughout the year. They'll remember that chief. The specific example that that they gave me, which I just, I absolutely loved, there's a conflict of interest training that we did for them. And there's this character in the middle of it named Louis, who we all love. And he's got this great voice and he's mostly well-meaning and he helps one of his employees out of a jam but you realize as he's doing that situated on his desk is this very expensive art book and his employee says oh my goodness that's amazing where did you get that and louis of course has no idea what it is louis has gotten it as a gift from a vendor and didn't realize that he has accidentally accepted a five thousand dollar art book and so he's frantically searching the internet to see what it costs and realizes oh my goodness what am i going to do and eventually it works out he figures out what to do they end up auctioning it off for charity Now, Matt has reported to me, they've seen a 300% increase in gifts given back, returned to compliance for the idea of being auctioned off. So something can be donated with these over last year, not because their policy changed or because people saw a conflict of interest training 10 million times this year. No, because of Louie, because everybody remembers Louie. Everybody remembers the beads of sweat coming down his animated face as he frantically Googles the fact that he's just accepted an overly expensive gift. And those are the kinds of things that affect behavior. Those are the kind of things that people remember. The stories that you were able to develop, and more importantly, this level of engagement, is that something that you can build upon going forward into perhaps a new series to teach 
more sophisticated or more nuanced lessons? Is that part of uh, the approach you guys would take at Labyrinth? Absolutely. We advocate bringing storytelling to everything. There's this great Vox series on I think you can find it on Netflix, and they sort of explain different, they take 20 minutes to explain different phenomena. One of the ones they dive into is memory. And there's a scene in it where they go to this memory competition, and people are given series of three-digit numbers, thousands and thousands of three-digit numbers, and they have to look at it for a certain amount of time, memorize as many as they can in a row, and then sort of recite it back, and whoever can do the most wins kind of thing. And it was the domain of these sort of older white European guys, and then this younger Asian woman comes in and completely annihilates them at this competition. She's like 20 years old. And so they talked to her afterwards and said, how do you do it? And she talks about how she assigns a narrative to it. She has a system where the numbers correspond to letters, and so she turns them into words. And then as she reads through the numbers, she just tells herself a story with something familiar. I was walking down the street. I walked past the store, I got a gallon of milk, I did whatever it is. And she remembers the story because you can remember what you did yesterday. You can remember walking through things. You can remember if you're a sports fan, every pitch of the ninth inning of the time your team won the World Series. You can remember those things. And so she attached a narrative to that and she could just keep going and going and going and completely destroyed all these people in the competition. And so whether it's, you know, broad topics like don't date your boss kind of conflict of interest stuff, or if it's very nuanced stuff, like some of the data privacy stuff where, you know, every company's different, you have to make sure that your policy is followed correctly. No, 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 use this server, not that server. It's different everywhere. That's more nuanced stuff. No matter from one side to the next, we attach storytelling to all of it because people will remember it. People will remember the guy whose girlfriend broke up with him in the restaurant, and when he was so upset, walked out without his laptop, which got stolen, and oh no, better than saying, don't leave your laptop lying around. You're not gonna remember, okay, yeah, sure. But if you remember, oh no, Connor got dumped at the restaurant, and we all saw it happen, and he walked out in tears, and well, now you're remembering that. Now it's attached to something that your brain latches onto. So it doesn't have to be broad topics, and from broad topics to anything that's incredibly nuanced. So Peter, let me change the subject a little bit because one of the things I'm most excited about is you guys are going to finally join the Compliance Podcast Network with your own podcast. So yes. I was wondering if you could maybe premiere or preview it a little bit for the listeners and how you hope to take this in your own direction. Well, again, we think of ourselves as sort of very much consider ourselves part of this industry now, but we understand that we come from a very different background. And so we just want to bring that to this. Our show is called In the Lab. It's going to have really great guests. We've recorded a few of them so far. We're really excited. And I think the first question, I was talking with Scott about this, and we realized the first question we asked our first guest was to talk about their Little League baseball experience and how that impacted them. It was extremely interesting to us. We had heard them speak about it elsewhere, and we really wanted to get into like how that leads to competition and team building and all that kind of stuff. But we kind of just want to be conversational. You know, it's going to be very loose. We're just here to talk to people and hear their stories. And we're very interested in people and we're very interested in their stories. And so we love hearing stories. We love telling them. And that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be the two of us kind of hanging out, having someone in and talking to them about their journey. So Peter, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but if uh, anyone wanted to find out more about Labyrinth Training or you, how can they do so? They can find us at labyrinthtraining.com. And if you want to find me directly, I still keep my, you mentioned our old 
company Gadfly. I still keep that email address. So I'm Peter at Gadfly.io. That's G-A-D-F-L-Y. People always ask me what the difference is between the two. Gadfly was sort of the production company that launched this thing. And I know you're a science fiction guy. And so think of Gadfly as the flux capacitor and Labyrinth is the DeLorean. Gadfly is the thing that powers it, but Labyrinth is the car. Well, got it. So, Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me today. And frankly, I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Thanks. Thanks for having us. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.